0: So I want to talk about a review that we got. We've got a a few new listeners from Smashing Security because they tweeted about us. We sponsored their podcast and they they tweeted about us. And we got one of the best reviews I think we've we've ever had. Are are you ready for this? Your name here, uh, which is a great name, said it was not horrible. (laughs) I like it. There we go. I think that's all the endorsement I need in my
1: life. Yeah, it's a glowing review right there.
2: Yeah, I think that that's a good... Bar to hit, right? Just like that minimum viable podcast. <laughs> it's uh I
1: didn't despise it.
2: With so many horrible things in the world. It was not horrible. I feel
0: like is the is the bar that I'm looking for.
1: You're halfway there, right? You're halfway there.
2: Yeah. Especially because like I a lot of times feel that I am horrible. So to have, you know, a little bit of uh, reassurances <laughs> that I'm not,
1: it's it's valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're okay, Rue. You're okay.
2: I think this this review has honestly led
0: to us being a higher position in the charts as well. We've had some success in the charts.
1: Random but memorable. It's not horrible.
0: Yeah, there we go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we don't ask for reviews as much as we should we just got to have a persistent bumper that's you know like was that it though was that
0: the ask for no that
2: wasn't that was no <laughs> because it, i mean we might not do it very often because
0: that was terrible no okay listen yeah.
1: Please, if you've tuned in to 65 episodes of the show and you're still listening, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, yeah
2: along the lines of it was not horrible. You don't even have to have listened to 65 episodes. Like, just go do it now. Pause the show, leave a five star review and then come back and finish it. It'll It's great. Do you even need to pause the show in order to do that? I don't think you do. You could probably multitask.
0: Maybe we could just leave a space here. Like, we'll wait. And you can just listen to Rue bang into his microphone.
2: Oh my god, is it that loud? I'm trying <laughs> to plug do something do in. What you with it? <laughs> I was just. i just. Just plugging something in here, that's fine. <clears throat> it sounds like you're falling down a metal staircase <laughs> in the <laughs> church.
1: <laughs> So, on the show today, we have myself, editor and producer of the show, and I'm also joined by Matt Davy, CXO at OnePassword, and Mr. Michael Fay, also known as Rue, who is VP of Engineering at OnePassword. So there you go. There's our our formal introduction. I love
2: it. Clip it out. I like it. Put it in every show.
0: <laughs> All right. Let's move to some Watchtower Weekly.
2: Oh, Watchtower Weekly. That's our thats our segment based on 1Password Watchtower, which is a part of our product that helps keep you safe online, watches out for compromised websites and things of this nature. Watchtower Weekly is our reappropriation of that term where we go through the, the top news stories that have a security bent to them. You want to talk about some emails from a Microsoft Exchange server, Matt?
0: Uh, yeah, sure. So this one's from The Verge. And the interesting thing about this that's horrible um is that <laughs> the the headline is move over solar winds. And solar winds is something that we didn't actually cover, mainly because, you know, everybody was covering it. It was everywhere. And so the headline being move over solar winds is, is quite horrible. But thirty thousand organizations emails have been hacked over Microsoft Exchange server flaws. And this attack has been going on since January. So four exploits found in Microsoft Exchange Server software has reportedly led to over 30,000 U.S. governmental and commercial organizations having their emails hacked. Uh, This is uh, according to a report by Krebs on Security. The exploits have been patched by Microsoft, but security experts talking to Krebs say that the detection and cleanup process will be a massive effort for the thousands of state and governments and fire and police and school and financial districts and all other organizations that that were affected. So according to Microsoft, vulnerabilities allowed hackers to gain access to email accounts and also gave them the ability to install malware that might let them back into those servers at a later time. So really the, uh, you know, the twofer. So Krebs and Wired report that the attack was carried out by Hafnium.
1: Hafnium? (laughs)
0: they weren't in the committee for naming obviously
1: no i give that a three out of ten on the naming front there
0: i give that yeah at best uh so a, a chinese hacking group hafnium uh while microsoft hasn't spoken about the scale of the attack it also points to the same group as having exploited vulnerabilities saying that it had high confidence that the group is state sponsored so that's awful According to Krebs on Security, the attack has been ongoing since at least January uh, 6th, but ramped up in late February. Microsoft released its patches on March 2nd, uh, which means that the attackers had almost two months to carry out their operations. The president of the cybersecurity firm, Velexity. Hmm, okay... 6 out of 10, I'm giving that, (laughs) Uh, which discovered the attack called Krebs. If you're running Exchange and you haven't patched this yet, there's a high chance that your organization is already compromised. Mm. Uh, So it is worth noting that if your organization uses Exchange Online, it will not have been affected because the exploit was only present on self-hosted servers. I mean... What a year to self-host your own email server, right?
2: Yeah, that's not great.
0: While a a large-scale attack likely carried out by a state-run organization may sound familiar, Microsoft is clear that the attacks are in no way connected to the SolarWinds attack that compromised federal government agencies and, and companies last year. So Microsoft said that the company is working closely with the Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency, and that the best protection is to apply the updates as soon as they're uh, available across all impacted systems. So yeah, that's yeah. that's horrible.
1: It's scary that kind of so many companies are still not even really aware that they've been a victim of this attack. And it's also kind of interesting to see the hundreds of or thousands of companies getting caught up in like the media storm afterwards, mm. sort of kind of. Adding to the body count. I
0: think the most dangerous thing about this is the people or the companies that are running email servers that have like just someone coming in every now and then for IT, Yeah. right? You know, Janet, who just comes in on a Tuesday, tidies up the USB ports and print stuff <laughs> and, and like, you know, suggested that you run your own email server. The rate in which someone patches self-hosted stuff just really exacerbates the problem here.
2: I don't like to end these, these discussions on just like, yeah, that sucks. Like, is there anything that these companies could have done to protect themselves more? Or are they hosed just from the sheer nature of, of using Microsoft Exchange server? Like, we could see this happening to Google, right? Like with their G Suite. But I, I think
0: there's a huge difference there, right? G Suite okay. is hosted. The patches are immediate. And they are detecting things at a network level. Whereas if you self-host, they can't detect things at a network level. They can't install patches. They can't like if you are self-hosting your own email server or exchange server, like if you don't know what you're doing there, don't do it. It's like you are creating your own target almost. I, I mean, I understand that like it might be better in some instances, but the advice coming away from this or the way to mitigate this is to either use cloud software or continually update and protect your own infrastructure and like invest in protecting it yeah yeah that's true so let's jump on to the next one so brave buys a search engine promises no tracking no profiling and may even offer a paid for no ad version brave the maker of the privacy focused web browser has acquired its own search engine to offer an alternative to google and other competing search engines so the the company has announced that it's taking over tailcat Anybody ever use Tailcat? No. No, I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, A search engine developed by Cliques, another privacy-focused browser business uh, that aspired to compete with Google. Yeah, they're now a Brave shareholder. So Brave intends to make Tailcat the foundation of its own search service, Brave Search. The company hopes that its more than 25 million monthly active Brave customers will, after an initial period of testing and courtship, choose to make Brave Search their default search engine. That is a bet. That is a bet and a half.
2: That's a bet and a half. I'm fascinated by this. There's a
0: scale of using Google, right? Like a balance of using Google as a search engine. Because I've tried others. I like DuckDuckGo. I want to use DuckDuckGo. But boy, when I search a restaurant, do I want one near me and not in, you know, (laughs) in Canada or anything like that? (laughs) and, And for that, it needs to know where I am. And, you know, when I search for something that I've previously found... I want that thing at the top of the list. So like I understand the the profile that Google are building on me, but boy, does it make search accuracy better. And I think what Brave is doing is build that profile and keep it locally and then keep the ad database locally as well and kind of do the referencing there. That way things never get back and kind of link up towards this broader internet of, of data about you. And if that search engine kind of connects into that, I think it would be really nice. Yeah. So the the next and, and last one is that, you know, Apple have plugged a severe WebKit remote code execution hole. That's a series of words together. Um, <laughs> Apple recently pushed out security updates for a memory corruption bug to devices running iOS, macOS, watchOS, and for Safari. So Apple is rolling out fixes for a vulnerability in its WebKit browser engine that, if exploited, could allow remote attackers to completely compromise affected systems. So the bug actually ranks 7.7 out of 10 on the CVSS vulnerability severity scale, making it a high severity. An exploit would allow an attacker to remotely execute code and ultimately take over the system. Apple urged affected device owners to update as soon as possible. And they said, keeping your software up to date is one of the most important things that you can do to maintain your Apple products security. I am constantly telling everybody I know to update their stuff
2: right i was late for this podcast because i was updating macOS but like yeah let's talk about what a piece of shit matt is for for (laughs) updating his mac in the minutes before uh, a podcast recording like
1: updating your software is pretty important but don't do it before a podcast recording
2: poor time management on his part
1: uh... (laughs) get your priorities sorted matt (laughs) it just does Just
2: does whinging about
1: math. <laughs> <laughs> He's just trying to prove a point there. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, like, it's seriously, it really is important and much more important than I believe people understand. We almost do ourselves a disservice as people who make software by putting features into, <laughs> into every update, right? I almost think if you had a, a series of updates that were like, here are the security updates, and then you had a series of updates that were like, here are the features, people would much more likely update the security updates because like they feel necessary. I think people are almost scared of the other side of this of of every update brings change and I just want to use this piece of software. So, I'm constantly telling people, please update every piece of software that you have. In the case of this specific flaw, if WebKit processed a specifically crafted malicious web content, it could lead to a successful exploitation according to Apple. In a real-world attack, a remote attacker can create a specifically crafted web page, trick the victim into opening it, trigger a memory corruption, and execute arbitrary code on the target system. We're looking for positive outcomes from this. There aren't many. Uh, I think we've had two today. Two stories where the answer honestly is, just keep your stuff updated.
2: It's a constant battle. (laughs) Dropping by for a chat today is John Verdi. John is Vice President of Policy at the Future of Privacy Forum. Day-to-day, John works on issues related to innovation and privacy with a focus on the interaction between law, policy, and technology. He's written Supreme Court briefs. Congressional testimony and Perl scripts, but not all at the same time. John, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. Wonderful. Uh, so I know that the Future Privacy Forum is nonprofit, but for those who might not know, what role does FPF play in the privacy space? What sorts of things do you tackle day to day?
3: Well, I'm super proud of the work of the organization. We're we're a DC-based, nonpartisan, nonprofit organization. Best description for us is that we're a think tank. We are supported by foundations and companies, and we work with an advisory board of corporate CPOs, chief privacy officers, academic leaders, and the leading advocates in the data protection and privacy space to try to formulate practical, pragmatic, and protective privacy and security safeguards. We primarily work in the space not occupied by law, There are legal requirements that are out there in the world. There are regulatory requirements that are out there in the world. And where we come in is looking at future leaning issues, like what are the key data protection and security issues that are going to come up with augmented reality and virtual reality? What does artificial intelligence and machine learning mean for privacy? And we engage on those issues with our advisory board and with with stakeholders, and we try to be a, a fair broker. Educating policymakers in the United States and around the world about why these issues matter, how the technologies and business practices work, and what practical solutions are out there to promote the benefits and mitigate the risks of digital technologies.
2: Wow, that's that's really interesting. It's sort of like, as you said, you you operate independent of law law firms and things of that nature. There's got to be a lot of freedom in that type of approach, right? Sort of go where the winds are blowing you and, and where you think that the the most important issues are to deal with. So what? are some of the biggest threats and challenges to our privacy today from your point of view and what's your viewpoint on them are, are you optimistic or is or is it sort of a a dreary a dreary outlook i hope it's
3: not a dreary outlook we're <laughs> we're certainly um we're certainly optimistic about technology and data and i think we're unique in this space in occupying a place where we are optimistic about online products and services and at the same time we are supporters of strong and meaningful privacy safeguards. We, we don't think that these digital technologies that are enabling work from home during the pandemic, that are enabling class from home during the pandemic, that are providing tremendous benefits to individuals and communities and businesses and society. We don't think that those technologies and those services can exist and can exist in a healthy and meaningful way without strong privacy safeguards. So we're optimists about the tech um, and we're optimists about the services, but we're also supporters of ensuring that all individuals are respected when they use these services, that we look at the benefits in a clear-eyed way, but we also look at the risks in a clear-eyed way.
2: You mentioned the pandemic. What sorts of issues have come up to the surface a little bit more prominently over the last year that you may not have been focusing on as much in the years prior?
3: That's a great question. And and I could go on all day about it, though I promise I won't. Just to give you an example, one of the things that was not a mass media, hugely debated issue prior to the pandemic, but has really become one, is this question about how online school, online testing, online proctoring has impacted teachers and students and families and everybody within the student and educational data ecosystem. You know, this is a topic that I think educators were probably tuned into a year and a half ago, two years ago, but you did not see front page stories in the New York Times about online proctoring gone awry until lots and lots of classes and lots and lots of students went virtual.
2: Yeah, we've covered the, that exact issue here, I think, even as recently as the last episode that we did. Did um, you solve it? Oh, absolutely not. No, we don't solve problems on this show, John. We just, <laughs> okay. we just talk about them. <laughs> I think
3: it's a really hard issue, and we would, we would totally steal your solution and take credit for it.
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, you'd be welcome to it, uh, had, had one <laughs> existed. The FPF recently published an infographic that I'm sure Anna will helpfully link in the show notes to help lawmakers better understand the importance of supporting rather than undermining strong encryption. What were your findings there?
3: Yeah. So so this is an issue that in many ways has been an evergreen issue since the 1990s. And this is a debate that is happening in Washington, D.C. It's happening in Australia. It's happening in Europe. It's happening around the world right now. And the question is, how do governments who have legitimate interests in safeguarding their citizens and investigating crimes, engage with cryptographic technologies that, on the one hand, form the underpinning of the security ecosystem on the internet, and on the other hand, can help criminals conceal their activities. That's a hard problem. I think that a constructive approach to that problem involves better understanding and better appreciating exactly how important strong cryptography is to Safeguarding individuals as they access online products and services, safeguarding companies and their data as they move that data around online, and safeguarding the communications and, and data of government officials themselves as they go about running election campaigns and doing the daily work of lawmaking and rulemaking. So what we observed is that many lawmakers are not technical folks, nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's no requirement that somebody have a computer science degree or have a technical background in order to run for office, nor should there be. And many lawmakers, as a result of that, I think, had an understanding of cryptography that was perhaps limited. And what we tried to do when we engaged in the research and when we published the infographic and when we worked with with a lot of members of our advisory board to, to try to get this right is we tried to present a engaging and compelling method for members of Congress, for their staff, for lawmakers and, and regulators around the world to be able to look at something visual and understand how pervasive strong cryptography is within the internet ecosystem. What sorts of important equities crypto protects, and this is everything from securing uh, critical infrastructure like power plants and and transit, to safeguarding communications between uh, members of the military, all the way to the commercial applications of making sure that consumers are not victims of identity theft or uh, stalking or harassment. And take those benefits, put it in front of folks, and also help them understand how proposals to undermine strong encryption, legislative proposals that would make cryptography either harder to implement or um, undermine it, its effectiveness entirely, would have significant major negative impacts on individuals, companies, and government actors. And that's what we tried to do. I think we were reasonably successful at it. But that doesn't mean these discussions are over. It doesn't mean we've convinced everybody. There are equities on both sides. And 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 we're trying to ensure that we have a straightforward and honest conversation about the benefits as well as the risks.
2: I think that's a really fascinating approach because it's an argument that I would be incredibly challenged to have because the arguments on the other side of it are legitimate and they're quite honestly very sensitive topics. I think that it's difficult to argue against some of the opposing viewpoints there based on the nature of where they're coming from. But to tackle it from the point of view of like, yes, we could, you know, we could put backdoors in. we could mandate companies do this. Here's the overall impact to that, though. Uh, Like this is everything you'd be giving up is really a a fascinating approach.
3: You know, I I appreciate you saying that. One of the things that we were really committed to as we crafted this uh, infographic is we're really committed to presenting factual examples within this context and not hypotheticals. So. You know, one of the things that I've found over the years, and and look, when I was in the Obama administration, I I was part of a bunch of these conversations about what are the law enforcement equities here? What are the commercial equities here? What are the civil rights and civil liberties equities here? How does this impact our stature and negotiating position in the global space? Right. There's lots of different angles to this. It's not a simple issue. But at the end of the day, what I found when I was having these conversations is that hypotheticals don't get you very far in these conversations with policymakers. Folks are often not particularly interested in what could go wrong or what could go right. They tend to be intensely interested in what has gone wrong and what is going right. And so when we went ahead and crafted this, um, we used examples that are real world examples of the broader points we were trying to make. You know, one of those examples was, Hey, you know, undermining cryptography poses a real risk to the security of critical infrastructure, to power plants and to transit. That's not a hypothetical risk. These attacks have happened and absent strong cryptography and strong cybersecurity protections, some of them have succeeded. That's a risk that lawmakers and regulators can understand. They don't want to see a power plant taken offline by a bad actor. They don't want to see a nuclear centrifuge taken over by a nation state actor who does not have your best interests at heart and whose goal is to undermine the efficacy of that facility. When folks see real concrete examples of that, I think it helps bring it home.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. Oh, that's that's really cool. I want to change topics just a little bit you have a particular interest in dark patterns and manipulative user interfaces can you give our listeners a bit of a baseline as to what what that is i mean that's a heck of a way to put it frankly um that that i have an interest in dark patterns and manipulative (laughs) user interfaces oh i didn't say a vested interest okay it's just uh, you find it interesting i I do i I do
3: (laughs) that is literally true but i but i think the connotation is is perhaps a bit further that i would go Um, oh that said (laughs) that said I I agree with you. I, I think this topic is fascinating. So this is not a new topic, that the question of manipulative user interfaces has been around almost as long as user interfaces have been around. The reason I think it's increasingly important is that lawmakers and regulators have started to take notice. And one of the things that I find fascinating is this question of what makes a particular user interface element a dark pattern. Now, sometimes it's easy to answer that question. So let me just give you an example. I don't know if you've ever been on the web and and you get to an e-commerce site and um, you encounter a a big blinking gaudy pop up that says flash sale next 15 minutes only you get an 80% discount on our top offerings. Have you ever seen anything like this? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, spoiler. And I think you probably know this. That's not a flash sale. It's not good for only 15 minutes only. (laughs) Right. And if you go back to that site in an hour with a new browser or you go to it on your mobile device tomorrow, you will get exactly the same pop-up. That's a dark pattern. Everybody agrees that if the site is literally lying to you about the conditions of the deal, that's deceptive. Yeah. Right. So it's pretty clear in some circumstances that when a user interface is lying to you in order to get you to take a particular action, to, to buy something quickly, to make a particular choice about your privacy settings, to take an action to, you know, share information on social media um, about your recent purchase, you know, well, that's great if, if you want to, you know, go ahead and promote your purchase or promote the product. But, but to be clear, you haven't received the product yet. So you don't really know whether it's particularly good. And these folks are already urging you to write a review. That's something that, that gets close, close to the line, right? Um, and, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. and there are other circumstances where user interface choices nudge users in certain directions and to take certain actions. And it's clearly for the user's benefit. It's not a dark pattern. It's not manipulative design. Or if it is literally manipulative, it's manipulative in a positive way, right? So let me give you an example. Um, Some services are increasingly urging their users to enable multi-factor authentication. Right. That's a good thing. That's a win-win for the company, for the user, and for the security ecosystem generally. You folks know the problems with a password-only solution to security. That's a real challenge right yeah and we know that users sometimes select weak passwords and we can we can nudge them to select better passwords and some browsers do and some other services do right some organizations implement password rules but at the end of the day enabling multi-factor authentication is an unmitigated good in the ecosystem no i don't think any any fair-minded person would look at a big service like facebook or google or microsoft or anybody else and say wow, you know, that's manipulative design to try to make your users' accounts more secure. That, that just doesn't seem plausible. So in the middle between an example of, hey, this is a element of user interface design that is literally lying to you at one end and at the other end, a service that is clearly telling you the truth and is nudging you in a positive direction in a way that's good for you and good for the service and good for your, your fellow users on the platform. There's a giant gray area about what constitutes a dark pattern uh, what constitutes a manipulative user interface element when an organization is trying to get its users to do something right and sometimes this is you know the thing they want users to do is to buy something well you know big online retailers often have algorithmic recommendation engines well i mean that, that surely benefits the company if you buy more right but at the same time, customers really value the recommendations. Is that a dark pattern? Doesn't really seem like it. You know, those recommendations engines have been around forever. What happens if that recommendation engine won't leave you alone and it just is constantly badgering you to buy this book or that pair of shoes or this automobile? You know, when does that become a manipulative design element? Does it ever? And I think that's the question that that we are exploring right now. And fortuitously, um, the Federal Trade Commission has come to the same conclusion. So the FTC is um, holding a workshop next month on exactly this topic. And I think the commission is primarily interested in what sorts of user interface elements would meet the criteria of being considered deceptive. And I think it's a fascinating question. There's a lot of gray area there. And I I expect this to be more of a focus for regulators or enforcers and lawmakers uh, moving forward rather than less of a focus.
2: John, I think that you and I could probably host a three-hour podcast with just the two of us. We should probably bring this one home at this point. Where can people go to find out more about you or FPF and the work that you're doing? So
3: we are on the internet at fpf.org. If you Google future of privacy forum, I hope we're the first hit. (laughs) And I tweet at John Verdi, and we tweet at future of privacy.
2: Very cool. This was an absolute pleasure, and I hope that we can have you back again someday for a follow-up, because this was was lots of fun, and I think that we've got a lot of ground that we can still cover. Thanks for having me.
1: Moving on, we have Ask One Password. This is our listener portion of the show, and we have tons of great correspondence this week. I like using the word correspondence. It makes me sound like Lady Whistledown from Bridgerton or something.
2: (laughs) or are you all in on bridgerton
1: anna i am all in on bridgerton
0: london in that needs to be dirtier it just needs like there's a layer (laughs) of filth that has been removed from the entire show yeah uh and and it makes it seem just a little bit unrealistic
1: you are watching like a heavily stylized period drama though matt uh, Yeah. (laughs) uh, yeah. So Lily on Twitter says, I love your Play Your Passwords, right? I play along and sometimes I'm better or as good as Roo. (laughs) 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 I hope it doesn't go away, but I'm curious about what other game would be next. Love the show.
2: Well, thank you, Lily. And uh, it's a very low bar. (laughs) To, to be uh, better or as good as me. So congratulations and condolences in the same breath.
0: And, and I think tune in next time uh, to find out what our yeah. what our new game will be.
1: Matt has come up with something that I think will be just as good as playing a password, right? If not, a bit better. I
0: mean, the hopes are high there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Fair. the first couple are going to be us finding our feet. So there we go. Bear with us. Yeah,
1: And then we have another one on Twitter and they said, how is this real? And they've added us and DuckDuckGo and sent a link to an SEO clarity graph here, which is which tech giants do Americans trust the most? So we have Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple and Samsung coming out as the most trustworthy, all within kind of 60% here. And we have Facebook and TikTok coming out as the tech giants with the most distrust. So what do you guys make of that? I mean, it's, it's a
0: weird question, isn't it? All really depends on how they phrase this. Because do I trust Google to give, give me the results that I search for? Yeah, I would. Like, I search for a local restaurant and it gives me the results back. If that is the trust that someone is looking for, it continues to do it, right? For Amazon, if the trust is in them delivering something when I buy it online and that it will be a good quality item, then, yeah. If my trust is in Microsoft, I mean... I haven't used a Microsoft product in quite some time, but like, you know, if it was the Xbox and it turns on and plays my game and all that kind of stuff, like, yeah, it really does depend on someone's view of what trusting these companies mean. In the headline that 40% of Americans don't trust Facebook and TikTok, I don't think this is really based on kind of actions that that they do almost. Google do so many things and are at so many touch points in people's lives that I feel like what they do with the information or like any nefarious or or accidental stuff that they do is kind of overshadowed by the fact that every day you go to Google search and you type something in and it returns some good stuff back. Mm. And I think the, the distrust of Facebook honestly comes from just the barrage of bad news. I mean, you know, we've, (laughs) <laughs> we've been the source for for a bit of it. <laughs> um they they just don't seem to make great choices in a lot of areas.
2: So, yeah, I I mean I'm I'm not entirely surprised by this. Yeah, same. The ones at the bottom of the list seem right. I would have assumed that Apple would be higher on the trustworthy scale.
1: Apple scores higher on distrust than Microsoft and Amazon, which seems a bit surprising. Mm.
0: It almost looks like the frequency of use. If if I use Google every day, I'm going to trust it more than buying an iPhone once every now and then, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, that's true. And
1: if you also have any questions, thoughts or suggestions, you can get in touch with the show by using the Ask One Password hashtag or writing in at media at onepassword.com. You can also rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: All right. I think it is time for the final. <laughs> I get it right this time. It is the final. It
1: is the final. Final ever. Yeah. We're not
0: even gonna bring this back for a Christmas special. It's gonna be the <laughs> final play your passwords right. Ooh.
2: Thank goodness.
0: <laughs> so for the people that have just tuned in, uh, from our recent success or recent sponsorship, you know, whichever way you look at it, you know, play your passwords right. You can go back and listen to the old episodes. And find out that, you know, Rue doesn't do too well.
2: Do you really have to hammer on it, like, right at the end here? Like, <laughs> I feel like maybe that's that's sort of a known quantity at this point. And now, now you're just punching down a little bit.
1: Aww. All right. <laughs> So this is the cringy passwords edition, Ooh, guys. Okay.
2: Is there a bot
1: that's playing along with us today? <laughs> lower bot. Sh-
0: should we go lower bot? Yeah, we're going to go lower We, bot. we did higher bot last time and he nearly beat us. So, uh...
1: <laughs> so to explain how Play Your Passwords Right works, I'm going to show a password and then reveal how many times that password has been in a breach. I will then show another password and Matt and Rue they will have to guess whether it's higher or lower and has been breached more or less times than the previous password. So here we go. The first password here is home sweet home with 2843. And the next cringy password we have is awesome sauce. <laughs> oh dear. Uh,
0: I, I was thinking that home sweet home isn't actually that cringy, but then like ugh, having awesome
2: sauce is your Password. I don't like seeing my password on screen like this.
0: Well, imagine having to share that with someone and being like, yeah, this is my password. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, oh, do you know what? I bet it's higher. I, it is. I
2: agree. This is higher.
1: First point for lower bot. It is lower. <laughs> than 1,040. I hate it
2: so much. <laughs> oh, okay.
1: And we're off, everybody. The next password we have is Lincoln poop.
0: Uh,
2: lower because no one knows how to
0: spell that. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure even you've spelled it right there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's how you spell it. You can Google it if you want.
0: Okay, I'm not. I'm not going to Google it. I am
2: going to go lower because
1: you really trust Google's search results. So.
2: That's trust index for Google is very high. Yeah, it's yeah. That's lower.
1: Wrong. <laughs> it is 1,301. It is higher. Mm. So apparently people can spell it. Wow. Okay. Next cringy password is YOLO. <laughs>
2: these are so good uh Uh, this is higher this is definitely higher. you see
0: i really want to say it's lower because it's too short to be a password and i've played that rule since we started this game and (laughs) it's never been the case where are all these sites that accept yolo (laughs) as a password the ones that are crummy and and why am i not surprised that they've been breached exactly
2: it's the ones that are crummy and have been breached that's those are the ones (laughs) okay i'm i'm going higher same who attempts this as a part?
1: You only live once, guys. That's the... Uh... <laughs> right. So you are both getting your first point. It is higher at 7,738. Hey. I knew Quite it. a big one there. F*** you, lower bot. <laughs> oh my gosh, all right now. <laughs> Can I just say how pleased I am that this has been my job for the last however many <laughs> months coming up with these... <laughs> <laughs> These passwords. Look, we're gonna make the next game just <laughs> yeah. as
0: fun for you.
1: Okay, so the next one isn't an invitation. It's just kiss me.
0: Like the song. Oh, sixpence none the richer. Yep. Shout out to them. I I think <sighs> this is higher. I'm going I'm going
2: I'm I'm sticking with lower bot on this one. This is lower.
1: Sorry, Rue. <clears throat> it's higher at eighty two thousand
2: four hundred and thirty. <laughs> Pull
0: that in front here. We can do this. That's many.
1: This one's kind of a cute one, kind of a cringy one. Cuddles, <clears throat> cuddles. Is that higher or lower than kiss me at eighty two thousand four hundred and thirty? I'm
2: going to deviate from lower bot here. I'm going higher. Gosh.
0: <sighs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm going higher as well. What
1: has your life become? <laughs>
0: Why is this my life? I just, who are these people? (laughs) This is where I fall behind lower bottom. Yeah, both me and Rue are going higher.
1: Both (laughs) wrong. It is lower. (sighs) 35,911.
0: Oh, God. Yeah, I thought thought it. How you doing, Lily? You
2: keeping up here? What's what's your score?
1: (laughs) So the next one is a cringy password because a lot of people don't like to hear it, to say it. It we... is the word. No. Moist.
0: Moist. Oh, I knew it was coming. <laughs>
1: oh. Oh. Is that higher or lower than cuddles at 35,911? You know what?
2: It's higher. And do you know why? Because people people are like, well, no one's going to want to type moist to guess it. So I'm going to pick moist because people don't like it. Okay, can you stop saying it? It's a horrible word. I mean... Okay, so is moisture also a horrible word? Oh. <laughs> yes. Okay, I like okay, lower. Let's just go yeah, quickly. This one's higher. It's moistly higher.
1: Matt, it is lower mm. at 371. No
0: one likes this, you see? Oh, man. Lower bot needs a point as well. I gave a point to lower bot.
1: <laughs> the next one is equally awful, and I'm not responsible for where your mind goes when I read this out. Flaccid. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, you are. <laughs> Responsible Is that higher or lower than moist? Who has that as a password? At 371. Isn't it a lake as well? Placid Lake.
2: <laughs> I'm not Googling that, so I will never know. No. It was Lake Placid. Oh, there's a Lake Placid lake near me, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's the You're one. Right. Essex County, New York. So uh, this is higher than moist. <laughs> well, we found out that, you know
0: sixty five percent of people trust amazon and and samsung, so um i'm yeah I'm going higher three hundred and seventy one is is quite quite low
2: I'm going higher
1: sorry guys, it's lower at sixty one okay. on. people using flaccid as a password then
2: and lower bot takes the Ooh, lead
1: damn, okay, so next one is a phrase that matt likes to use quite a lot do I hundo p
2: hundo p <laughs>
1: <laughs> apparently another way of saying a hundred percent
2: also it's hundy p not hundo p i don't know what what you're
1: yeah way. yeah it's hundy p oh this website said hundo p oh
2: okay. it's not a hundo p
1: hundo yeah. p
2: i'm going i'm am going lower yeah i'm
0: going lower because
2: it's, it's wrong
1: oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay so you're both going lower yes okay so it is lower at only two yeah. people caught in a breach with hundo p
0: amazing Lower, but, of course, still out in front. <laughs> nice, nice to know we've spent 20 minutes when we'll, what we could have done is just pick 50% of the answers and be out in front.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Next password is cray, cray. Oh, Is that higher, higher or lower? And hundo p. Higher. Yeah,
0: uh, that that's higher, yeah.
1: You are both correct. Bit of an easy one, but only 183 people there caught in a breach with cray-cray. That's
2: not as many as I thought it would be.
1: Next, apparently, is something all the kids are using these days. Who knows? I don't know. But GOAT, standing for greatest of all time.
0: Hmm. All right. Okay. Higher. I'm going higher. I I also am going higher.
1: Higher than cray cray at 183. You are both correct. It is 9,191.
2: And Matt takes the lead back from Lowerbot, and Ooh. I'm catching up.
1: Okay. So we have final password here.
2: The final password
0: of the final player passwords, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy. And it there, and there's one point in it between me and Lowerbot. Oh. Here we go.
1: And I thought it was only fitting that this password. Was, I love Matt.
2: (laughs) Whatever Matt picks, I'm taking the opposition. Uh, I mean, if I get this one wrong now, I
0: I think it's lower. I'm going higher.
1: Oh, okay. Tie break. So, I love Matt is higher at 10,944.
2: To tie lower bot. There we go. Oh, I still win. Amazing. Yes, you still win. (laughs) Okay. But I tied lower bot. Oh, there we go. (laughs)
1: So ten thousand people, nearly eleven thousand people have the password I love Matt.
2: There's a lot of mats out there. I'm so excited that this is not happening ever again. Oh. I feel like these rounds got
0: longer as they went on. Like as we as we continued to play, play your passwords right. I feel like the rounds
2: got longer and longer. They certainly got more agonizing.
0: Yeah, I think they did. You you honed it. You really, you really got us.
1: Woo-hoo. Uh, it's it's
0: been an absolute pleasure. Play your passwords, right? Aww. And Anna, you've done a great job.
1: Oh, thank you. It has been uh, a good fun calling this my job for the past <laughs> several months. <laughs>
2: yes, thank you, Anna. You've done it. You've done a, a great job with a terrible game. <laughs> <laughs>
1: now on to the next one.
2: And I
0: hope you're both ready for three word password.
1: Three. We've got to come up with a better name, though.
0: Oh, I think that name's brilliant. Three word password. I can't wait to hear what this is all about. All right. So with that. I we say I love you, Roo. I love you, Matt. Love you, Anna.
2: Love you. Bye-bye. Bye.